I'm going to read the passage, and then I will use, uh, give, uh, I, will, I will offer prayer. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ears to my understanding that you may preserve discretion, that you make right decisions, and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Let's you ponder her path of life. Her ways are unstable. You do not know them. You therefore hear me now, my son, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to another and your years to a cruel to the cruel one. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labor go to the house of a foreigner. And you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. And say, how I have hated instruction in my heart, despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of the teacher, nor inclined my ears to those who instruct me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. And the remaining portion of that scripture has already been read in your hearing. Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask that you would minister to our hearts today. We need to hear a word from you in the midst of all that we're going through. Father, we need to know how it is that we can honor you in our relationship. Father, we need to know how to develop the kind of love that I preached about from your word on last week, unconditional agape love. Father, that type of love is born out of a heart that desires to please you, a heart that is committed not only to excellence in public, but is, but is, is committed to purity in private. Father, we thank you when we ask your special blessings today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Level up today, church. Level up, level up in your marriage, level up in your marriage. Line your marriage up to the standards that are set forth in the word of God. Amen? Level up in your marriage. Some years ago, I saw a cartoon in a newspaper that caught my attention. The cartoon showed a picture of two grassy fields. Both of them were really lush and plush green grass. And the two uh, fields were separated by a single fence that went straight across the length of the entire field. And on either side of the fence were two mills. And what was funny about these two mills is that both of the mules had their heads stuck through the opposite side of the fences. And so even though both mules had fields that were plush and green, 
and had everything that they needed to be satisfied, they had their heads eating from the grass on the other side of the fence. When they attempted to remove their heads, they could not extricate themselves. They were caught in the wires. And there was a singular word as a caption under the picture of the two mules caught in the fences on the opposite side of either, either side of the fence. And the word was discontent. Discontent. Now, unfortunately, humans are like those two mules. When we suffer from what is called the greener grass syndrome, what others have often appeals or appears to be more appealing to what we have. Uh, we, we, the grass tends to look greener on the other side, and we fail to realize the reason it looks greener is because it's astroturf. And even when it's not astroturf, it still needs to be cut. It still needs to be cut. The grass is really not greener. Now, as we continue our series on leveling up in marriage, I want to show you from Proverbs chapter 5 how we can discover ways to love the one that we're with by practicing sexual purity in our marriages. What we're going to discover is that purity in the marriage bed starts in our heads. It starts in our heads. Listen to the key verse in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21. For the ways of a man are before the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. This verse reveals, reveals how purity starts in our thought life, in our heads. What you understand in your thought life about accountability to God will ultimately determine what you will or will not do in someone's bed. The omnipresent God, this verse says, sees everything that we do. The ways of man are ever before the Lord, and he is omnipresent. Wherever you are, the Lord is watching. And he discerns or judges all of our actions. And so ultimately, the God who is watching will hold us account, hold us to account for the things that we do. He will hold us to account. And if you believe that in your mind, that will determine how you will act out your beliefs through your conduct. Tell somebody that God is watching, and he'll deal with you. God is going to deal with us. He's already dealing with us. We, we have a mess. Every time you turn around, there's a mass shooting or some other horrible thing that's happening in our country. We've lost our way. Now, there are at least four principles that I need to consider 
from Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 23, and we're not going to be able to dig deep. I want to go through. I'm not coming back to this. We're going to finish this today. So just buckle down and hang in there with me. We're going to walk through this one today. You're going to go through. I done gone through it. You're going through this with me today. So there are four principles that we, we want to glean from in this passage of Scripture. First of all, temptation to cheat on your spouse or the person that you have designated as a special person in your life, it's real. Let me say that again. Temptation to cheat, to be unfaithful. That's such a hard word. That's the, what we're going to remember that. To cheat is real. Secondly, tragedy from cheating, being unfaithful to your spouse is in, inescapable. Tragedy is inescapable. There are going to be consequences. You're not going to escape them. In verses 4 through 6 of Proverbs chapter 5. And then the third principle is that we need to learn to tell ourselves the truth about long-term consequences for short-term decisions. We need to tell ourselves the truth about short-term decisions that have long-term consequences. That's verses 7 through 14. And then finally, we're going to consider how we need to train ourselves to be pure in our own marriage. We need to teach ourselves. We need to train ourselves. We need to learn discipline in order to be pure in our marriages. And this doesn't start when you get married. It starts when you're single. The, the greatest evidence of future behavior is current and past behavior. The only guarantee that we have that something is going to change is that you can, you, can, you can observe the change in the present. And so what you're getting in your relationship right now, ladies and gentlemen, when you do get married, you will have to be concerned that the behaviors that you have tolerated and signed off on, if they were not under the, 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 the assignment, the leveling up with the word of God, that they will continue in marriage and have tragic results or can have tragic results. Now, the first principle is this. Temptation to cheat in your marriage, in your special relationships, is real. Listen to what the, what the writer of the Proverbs says. This is King Solomon. This is the brother who knows about relationships. He's the guy you want to listen to. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding. Don't go through what I went through. Self-inflicted. That you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge for the lips of an immoral woman drip, drip like honey and her mouth is smooth, smoother than oil. Now, before I unpack these verses, I want to say something to all of the super saints. This verse, they don't apply to me. I don't have no problems in this area. I got a, a supernatural chastity belt on my brain. Okay, let me say some things to you. The first thing I want to say to all of you who didn't just, you just aren't flying with your wings yet, but you got them under your dress or you're under your jacket. Don't ever say what you won't do. 
Don't say what you won't do. Why? I can tell, well, then you're disagreeing with the word. Here's what the word says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Don't say you won't. You're just a slip and a fall away. Secondly, don't ever think that you are so spiritual that you cannot succumb to sexual temptation. You're not that spiritual. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, he said, if anybody had reason to boast and be confident in my spirituality as a Pharisee and a, and a Hebrew of the Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin, say, uh, I was circumcised on all of these things, he said, it would have been me. But he said, I put no confidence in my flesh. Don't think you can because you're so spiritual. Here's the third thing. Don't ever think that because you are married, nobody wants you, that your ring is a, 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 is, is a deterrent for our sinful thoughts or for people to prowl and try to seduce you. Here's what Romans chapter 13, verse 14 says. Make no provision for the fulfilling of the lust of the flesh. And so none of us are beyond being tempted to fall into sexual immorality, into sexual impurity. Even Jesus was tempted. The Bible says, let us come boldly into the throne of grace. He says, because we have not a high priest who cannot, who, who cannot be sympathetic towards our weaknesses because he, Jesus, was tempted in all points just like we. So if Jesus could be tempted... And he's God, I think we might be temptable too. Somebody say amen. So let me quickly talk about the reality of temptation, even though you're married or you are committed in, in a monogamous relationship or considering one. The first thing that lets me know that it's real is that God warns us. The Psalm, uh, uh, Solomon, the, 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 the writer says, pay attention, <laughs> listen. There's a reason for the warning. When God gives a warning, it's like a flashing red light. A train wreck is about to happen if you don't give heed, if you don't stop. If there was no reason for warning, we would not be giving a war given a warning. God doesn't waste words. And so God gives us a warning. God also gives us the reason for his warning, specifically speaking to men. And I want to say for our purposes today, even though the scripture says beware of the immoral woman, let's put brothers in there too. Beware of immoral, slice the brothers. Beware of men. So where you see brothers, where you see uh, sisters, where you see the name woman, Slide in the name for brothers or men. Beware of men who are immoral. God gives us the reason. He said, for the lips of the immoral woman drip like honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. And as I've already said, for the purposes of this message, we're going to make this generic. It's mankind. Beware. Beware. Now, it's interesting that the word that Solomon uses that is translated in the New King James and the Old King James is translated, beware of the prostitute. In the New King James is translated, beware of the immoral woman. 
In some other translations, it's translated, beware of the, uh, the, un the, un the unfaithful or the fornicator. The reason why the word is rendered differently in the different standard versions is because it is the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew's chapter 19 for, por it's, it's the word pornea, pornea, which we get our English word pornography. Pornea is the word for our English word pornography, and it can be rendered immoral, fornicator, adulterer, or prostitute. What determines how you understand the word poinia is the context, is the context. So that's very important. Now, sometimes impure behaviors are, will involve prostitution. Sometimes it will involve a sex outside of your marriage with someone other than your spouse, adultery. Sometimes improper sex will occur between two people who are not married. The word poinia will be rendered fornication. And then other times, it will be translated infidelity, uh, and that has reference to all types of sexual perversion that occur outside of the context and the structure that God has provided for it to occur within marriage. Now, when pornea is used of sex with a prostitute, the focus is on a financial transaction. You are paying someone to perform an illicit sexual act for you. And so when the word is translated, beware of the prostitute, he's talking about men or women who pay to have sex with someone. Some say, well, I'd never do that. Well, if you watch pornography, in many instances, the performers of illicit acts that we engage in as we're watching are actually being paid to perform those acts. And so you may be getting it for free, but it's not free from them to you. And so indirectly, you are engaging in an immoral act with people who are engaged in prostitution. And so sex with a prostitute it's a, trans, a financial, involves a financial transaction. Now, when the word pornea is used to speak of adultery or fornication or immorality, the focus is not on a financial transaction, but a personal interaction with someone who you know that does not involve money. A personal interaction that results in a sexual act outside of marriage is more dangerous in many instances than prostitution, paying somebody to do something for you because the person that you are engaged in fornication with or adultery is usually somebody you know. And that somebody you know is someone that you have formed a relationship with and that relationship goes from a singular act to an extended period where it becomes an affair, an affair. And so pornea can have reference to paying someone or involving yourself with someone through a personal relationship that you've come to know over time. Now, the bait that the enemy uses to lure us away from relationships that honor God are described for us. It says, the, 
that her words are, she, she uses sweet words, or he uses sweet words. Listen again, the scripture says, for, his, for her lips, or the lips of the immoral woman, drip like honey, or drip with honey. What that means is her words are subtle, but intentionally directed at a man's ego. His words are intentional and purposeful when he is trying to lure a woman away from her relationship with her husband or a, a monogamous relationship because he's now, um, instead of appealing to your head, the man is appealing to a woman's heart. She excessively compliments him. She heaps words of praise and expresses concern for your well-being in ways that your spouse may not in ways that the current relationship that you're in, your, 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 your male friend or female friend may not know that you're, you're, you, that you're afraid to get the COVID vaccine or something like that. But this person with the smooth word, she absolutely will recognize that you seem concerned today. She is a smooth talker. That means she is seductive and sensual in her conversation. She'll go there, whatever you want to talk about. She don't mind talking about it. She knows what to say to make you feel like a real man or a real woman. She flirts with her words. Solomon warns that her words are smoother than fine oil. Her words make you feel good. She says things that you wish your wife would say but you never ask her to say for fear that she might slap you into the next day. This woman will go there. This brother will talk about things with you that your husband will not discuss because he's afraid that if he does, you think he's done going kinky or he's perverted. Forgetting what Hebrews 13 says about marriage, that the marriage bed is undefiled. And if you read the book of the Song of Solomon, you learn a whole lot of things that the brother talks about with his Rose of Sharon, with his sister bride that would curl your hair. And so she says those things. She goes there. He goes there in their conversations. She's unstable, the scripture says. She, she, it says her ways are unstable. She makes you feel needed because she is needy. That's one of the attractions. Men like to feel like we're saving somebody's day. We're the rescuers. We're the guy in the white hat. We're the dude coming over the hill. And, and we're the cavalry. We're riding the white horse. We're going we gonna to pull some sister off the track. We ain't going to let them die. And, then, and, 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 and when, they, when they recognize that it was us, we feel like we can float. We can ascend to Mount Olympus. Men are rescuers and protectors. While women are more often nurturers, she feels most needed and appreciated when a man, when she feels like she's taking care of her man and he feels taken care of. I often hear people say taken care of, feel taken care of. If a person is a man, he may appear strong, but he makes a woman who he, is, who he is luring and seducing through smooth words and sweet words, he makes you feel like he can't make a decision unless you're a part of that decision process. 
he makes you feel that you are appreciated in ways that he's never appreciated anybody before. You, you just make his day. The Bible says she's unstable. She's needy. She, she needs to be rescued. She needs your help. She needs your ideas. She needs your input. Not only is she unstable, but the scripture also says that she can make you feel like her only real problem solver and her hero again and again. It, where it says, you, you, her ways are unstable and you do not know them. Every time you are encountering the person, there's something different, there's something, some other need, something that you, only you can help them with. Only you can talk them off the ledge. And if you don't do it, then th their life just will be ruined. It's just that, it's that, it's that hysterical. And so she makes you feel like you're her only real problem solver. Now, there are at least four types of infidelity or impurity in marriage or in relationship. There are at least four types, I believe, that this word, pornea or immorality, gives reference to. And the first is the obvious, a physical adultery. We know what that is. Uh, the example of David and Bathsheba, uh, Bathsheba was married to Uriah, and while Uriah was away at work, David decided that he had to have Uriah's wife, and so he had sexual relationships with Uriah. That's a form of pornea. That's adultery. Then there's what the Bible refers to as mental adultery. Uh, Jesus makes reference to this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, but he said, he says, but I say unto you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery. And so looking is neutral. It's what we see and how we process it in our minds that takes it to the next level. And so now he's talking about undressing people and fantasizing with, in your mind about them and actually performing in your thoughts acts that you, don't, you may never physically act out on but it's already occurred in your mind. The Lord says, if you lust for a woman, and let me add, sisters, if you lust for a man in such a way that you're desiring them and performing sexual acts in your mind with that person, Jesus said you've already committed adultery. Mental adultery includes but is not limited to sexting. Engaging in sexual acts on your phone through text messages. Phone sex. I don't have to explain that. And FaceTiming someone to consummate or to complete an illicit sexual act. Person's not physically present, but you're watching them, and they're watching you. Sending illicit pictures of yourself to someone that you may be currently dating who decides later to send the same pictures you privately sent to them that you're not married to, they choose to make sure that all of their friends see you in your birthday suit. Here's another uh, form of mental adultery, and that's watching pornography for sexual gratification. The person that you are enjoying that experience with is not your wife. It is not your monogamous partner in a relationship that you are supposedly committed to. 
And so I said, well, well, I don't hurt nobody. I, I often want to say to brothers, if your girl did the same thing, or if you knew your wife was doing that, would that be cool? No, no, no. Ain't no brother going to be sitting around watching his wife watch other men. That ain't cool. But we expect women to understand that that's what men do. No, that's not what men do that are trying to please God. Well, everybody's doing it. I mean, you can access it right on your phone. Look at the mess that we're in. We have no regard for what God calls holy and sanctified or, to, or, 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 or puts that calls God calls sacred. That's why we can gun people down and not feel anything and then take our own lives because life means nothing when it's detached from God. Sex becomes nothing more than an animalistic act like dogs on the street when God is left out of the equation. We're not better off. We're not better off. We got more people in mental institutions on psychotropic medications, suicidal, strung out on drugs. We have a functional drug-addicted uh, uh, community in America. We have a country that doesn't care about how uh, other people's rights as long as we get to do what we want to do. When God is excluded, it matters. And we're suffering. And we don't even recognize that it's the result of divine judgment. Here's the third category of adultery or infidelity in marriage. It's emotional adultery. This type of uh, immorality or infidelity in marriage is when you have a deeper emotional attachment or an affection for someone other than your spouse. It could be your former girlfriend. Every time your birthday shows, you sending flowers, you calling up, you hanging out. You know you're not going back to she already married. You still single, but you still acting like she's the one. What Jesus says, he says, if you look at a woman and lust upon her, you always commit it. But notice where he says you committed. You committed it in your heart. Emotionally, there's an attachment. And so you can be emotionally unfaithful in your marriage in a way that you're actually romantically involved with somebody that is not your spouse. There shouldn't be anyone in your, in your, in your relationship that is more, that you are giving more affection to and expressing more romantic uh, overtures to beyond your wife. That can, be, that can even be a child. You love your child more than you love your husband. I remember family, and I, don't want to, I do not want to get into detail, uh, but uh, I often see the brother. They had this little tiny car, this little small car, and the husband was like six feet one, big dude, two something. And every time the family was going somewhere, he sat in the back of the car, and the, the son sat next to the wife. I, could, I just never could wrap my mind around that. How is he in the back of the car? You got a 13-year-old son sleeping in your bed, and your, and your husband's downstairs on the couch. Something wrong with that. Your son and your daughter are not your spouse. 
You can be guilty of emotional adultery. You have, oh, I would never say I'm stuck with my star. Oh, no, that's in, oh, yeah, no, you wouldn't. But when your affections and your romantic thoughts are more towards your, your offspring than your mate, you, you checked out on the marriage. You actually are cheating on your husband or your wife. And then there's spiritual adultery. How can you get a spiritual adultery? Well, well, let me tell you how you can be guilty of spiritual pornea. When you fail to fulfill your marital vows and use the name of the Lord to justify, when 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I don't know if we're going to go there next time once we finish this, but he talks about do not neglect to, to fulfill your due benevolence. There were believers in the church that said, now that we say, yeah, we marry, but it's sex. I don't like the sex thing. It, it, it distracts me from being holy and clean and totally available to the Lord. And so the Lord said and, and to the apostle Paul, do not deprive one another except with consent for time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Sometimes we can be guilty of spiritual adults. You, you, you spend more time down to the church than you do with your own mate. You love Jesus so much that you never make it to your own bed. <laughs> if you could, you'd be sleeping on the pew in the church. That doesn't please God. Your first ministry is to your spouse. And the way that starts is not after you stand at the altar before the pastor and an assembly. It starts in the relationship before you get married. You demonstrate that you're not going to be emotionally unfaithful. You're not going to be physically unfaithful. You're not going to be mentally unfaithful. You're going to trash pornography. You're not going to do things that you wouldn't want your potential spouse to do. More importantly, you know that the eyes of the Lord are upon every detail, seeing everything. You're not going to do anything that displeases God. When you learn, when you, when, you, when you love the Lord the right way. Let me move on. Let me move on. Tragedy is certain when we give in to marital infidelity. If anybody was an expert on the consequences of infidelity, of immorality, of adultery, Solomon. Solomon in, in 1 Kings chapter 11, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, 300 mistresses, playmates. And the scripture says, when he became old, in verses 4 and 5, his many wives, not only did they turn him away from the Lord to worship idols, Solomon literally lost his full mind. The boy went crazy. That's why when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you say, wait a minute. What happened to Solomon? All those women he was sleeping with. And guess what? What Solomon's life experience tells us is that you can have a thousand women and still not be satisfied. That's why he said, all this vanity is empty. Life is worthless. You live and you die, you die, you live. It's, it means nothing. How could somebody with all those women and all that money and, and smart enough to do whatever he wanted to do with any of those women still say it doesn't, it doesn't add up to anything? Because he understood from experience that the way God has designed us, we can't handle the one we got, let alone 700 and 300. 
I'm always astound, astonished by uh, the night, the, Bible, the night that the kings would normally go to war. David stayed home, which was not during the spring. It's okay for the king to take a vacation. But on that night, David slept alone. Now I'm saying, wait a minute, David had, he, he shouldn't have had, but he had 10 wives. How did David end up in his bed by himself and he had 10 wives and then went for a walk on the computer and pulled up some pornography of another man's wife and decided he had to have her? The reason that can happen is because you can never satisfy the lust. You can never satisfy. So uh, I'm, when, when I get it all out of my system, I'm going to find yourself. No, you ain't. You're not going to get it all out of your system because your system is with you until you call, until God calls you home because the system is called the flesh. Paul said, oh, wretched man in my, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? Not getting it all out of my system. He said, but, but, but thanks be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ who is overcome, we overcome through Christ. If you're a Christian, you ought to be battling to overcome. It's a dangerous thing to be comfortable sleeping in the bed with Satan. It's a dangerous thing to get comfortable to be practicing what God calls sin because the wages of sin is still death. The Bible says, be sure your ways will find you out. The way of a transgressor is still hard. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 mistresses and still wasn't, wasn't content. Many wives had damaged and many marriages had been destroyed and severely damaged by infidelity. Listen to what the scripture says in verses 4 through 6, and we definitely got to run. It says, but in the end, she is, she is bitter as gall, sharper than a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave or to hell. She gives no thought to the way of, of her life. Her path wanders aimlessly, but she does not know it. Let me give you quick three three. Three consequences, and surely these are not the only ones. The first consequence is bitterness, the bitterness of gall. That means the bitterness is, is, is a caption for various negative emotions such as anger and hostility and violence, tires being cut, windows being smashed, a lie and acid being pulled on, poured on people, and outright hatred. In the end, she is bitter as gall. Not only does bitterness result as a consequence, but woundedness. She cuts like a two-edged sword. He cuts like a two-edged sword. It hurts a lot of people when we go outside of the relationships that God has ordained. People get hurt. And sometimes they never recover. Children in particular are caught in the middle when marriages break up because of adultery. And they think somehow it was their fault. They must have done something because if it wasn't for me, mom and dad would still be together. A moment of pleasure can produce a lifetime of pain. Remember when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, it was a one-night affair. But from the rest of David's life, even to the generations, into the fourth generation, the Bible says, God said that the sword, because of your, because of your sin, it will never depart from your home. And so sexual sin became a generational curse in David's family among the men. So bitterness occurs. Woundedness occurs. People get hurt again and again. It's a two-edged sword. It cuts 
over and over again because of the act that occurred that devastates a relationship. Here's the third thing, and I'm going to move on from here. Destructiveness. Uh, it's, it's live, lives are not only destroyed, but families never recover, and trust is sometimes lost and never restored. She leads you down to death and hell. And so it's destruction. It's never taking you towards God. Sexual sin takes you away from God. It takes you away from God. Destruction, woundedness, bitterness. And here's the third principle. We're moving on. Tell yourself the truth about your private thoughts and actions in terms of how short-term decisions have long-term consequences. Here's the, here's the principle, basically this. Admit, when it comes to sexual temptation, start off with this, I can't handle it. I, I, I just can't. It's like a person who's addicted to drugs. The moment they think that they can do this on their own, you've already begun to, to lean backwards into the sin. Let me, let me run on with this. Let me read, and I'll, I'm going to share some things with you as I go. He says, young men, listen to me and never forget what I'm about to say. What he's saying is, and he says, run, he says, run from her. Run from the man that's trying to lure you away from your marriage. Run from the man who has no sexual standards, and he says he's a Christian. Run from him. He will hurt you. She will hurt you. And here's the principle. Just run first and pray later. I used to think that I could go places. I'm, on, I'm quoting scripture, taking my clothes off. <laughs> you know, and, and the Lord said, da, 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 da. quoting scripture and praying never stopped me one time from going, leaving where I was to be where I should be. And, and, and first of all, I should have never been there. That's why, that's why Paul said, flee youthful lust. Put, put leather to your face. Pray later. He says, in a second, he said, don't go near her house. Don't go near his house. What that simply means is never start something that you may not be able to stop. If you don't go there, you don't get stuck there. So never start what you can't stop. We used to say, if you don't touch, you can't, nothing can happen. Yes, you, you don't have to touch now. All you got to do is use your cell phone. Click it and hit it. That's actually, a, a, I'm, I'm not trying to tell you to download that one, but that's actually a, 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 an app. Lest you fall to her, his, his or her temptation and lose your honor and give the remainder of your life to the cruel and the merciless. Here's the third principle. Remember, you have more to lose than you could ever gain. Remember, when you make the decision to use your body in an immoral way, if you are a man, you should be preparing to get married. If you have sexual desires and you can't control them, the Bible says it is better to marry than to burn. Stop hurting women. Get married. Get ready to get married. Don't just get married. I'm getting married. No, 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 no. You need to be able to take care of the wife. I'm good. I'm good. Here's the fourth principle. Let strangers obtain your wealth, and you become a slave to the foreigners. He's saying it's going to cost you financially when you get involved in impure behavior, relationship, and it, and it destroys your marriage. Now you're in the alimony, you're in the child custody payments. 
Now you are into having your wages gone. He said, it's going to cost you financially. He says, lest you afterwards, you groan in anguish and in the shame when you, and he, this is actually a translation from the Living, uh, Living Letters Bible, and syphilis consumes your body. There are physical consequences. Venereal diseases are at an all-time high, and they're venereal diseases that you can have and you don't even know you have them. They're undetectable by you unless you have blood work done. They're venereal diseases that you can contract other than AIDS, and there's no cure. So he says, be consumed, your body be consumed by syphilis or other uh, uh, trans sexually transmissible disease. And he talks about, so that's physical illness. And you say, oh, if only I had listened, if only I had not demanded my own way. Oh, why wouldn't I take advice? Why was I so stupid? Living Letters Translation. For now I must face public disgrace. Here's another principle of the tragedy that you need to, to, to understand about a short-term decision. Regret, you will have regrets of, law, of, of lost past opportunities. And those past opportunities, well, I, I messed up then, now. No, 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 all your money's tied up with those nine kids you've had. And so your future opportunities, when you finally do settle down and get married, all of the money that you should be putting into your relationship with your current wife is going outside the house. And you're feeling sorry for yourself. Regrets of loss past opportunities and future limitations because of choices that we make. Oh, God, if I could do, do, redo some of the things that I've done, choices that I made. Oh, I wish I could say that I, I've never stumbled sexually, especially as a single. I wish I could say that, but I can't. But I can tell you that it made it difficult in my marriage. I can also tell you that as a child, things that we didn't call sexual abuse, I experienced sexual abuse as a child. Now, I'm exposed to things that I'm not emotionally, mentally prepared to even handle. And so then the consequences open up doors where now you're exploring things that you would not have even considered. Remember to tell yourself the truth. One of the things that I had to learn as a pastor, I thought I could handle every conversation, things that people come and tell me, and women will tell you everything. Oh, I'll tell you. They'll, I mean, they'll tell you everything. And I thought I was, well, no, there's some things I don't know. No, you don't have to tell me. Don't fill in the blanks. I got enough. We just got started with the counseling. Now I'm going to absolutely refer you to a sister. I don't have to counsel you as a woman. I ain't trying it. I'm not trying it. Oh, I'm a pastor. No, I'm a pastor who's a man. Well, we've been knowing each other all these years. We can sleep. No, no, you can't. The things you need to tell yourself to. I used to think that um, being a pastor meant that I, I had to know everything. And I, I had no, no difficulty. No, I had difficulties and weaknesses. I had to learn the hard way. And so we need to learn. We must learn how to be honest with ourselves. What are your weaknesses? What are the things that trigger you and push you into behaviors that are not pleasing to the Lord. I just read an article about a couple who, who started dating two years ago. And one of the things that they agreed to, not only would they not engage in sex before marriage, they decided that they wouldn't even kiss for two years. Because both of them understood that for them to 
That was the gateway into other behaviors. It said on the day they got married, she finally removed her veil. He got ready to kiss, and he took some breath mints and sprayed his mouth, and they got the best kiss. But sometimes you have to be that radical when you want to be pure before the Lord. Here's the final thing. Train yourself to remain faithful in your marriage. How do you train yourself? How do you teach yourself? Well, let me tell you. He said, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad? Should somebody else have what is yours? Streams of water in the street? Should you just let this be promiscuous and have a polygamous or what? I forget what they call it. The multiple marriages where you share each other. A party, party, whatever they call it. Anyway, uh, moving right on. Will, Will Smith and his wife. Uh, that, that, that term, yeah. Should, should your fountains be dispersed? I'm sorry, Will. I'll, I'll take that back. I didn't say that. Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth as, as a loving deer and a graceful dove. When a man called a woman a deer, though he wasn't busting on her, he was saying, you fine, babe. You, you, you awesome. You just turned me all the way on. That's what that terminology meant back then. Let her, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be in rapture. Here's the word, intoxicated with her love. For why would you, my son, be enraptured or intoxicated by an immoral woman, an, an adulterous woman, a fornicating woman, a fornicating man, and be embraced in the arms of a seductress for the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. Let me finish with this. Now, I'll give you three quick things. Stay with me. Here's how you can train yourself to be sexually pure in your marriage. What do you need to do to maintain sexual purity? He Listen at this. He said, drink from your own system, drink from your own well, and drink from your own fountain. All three of these illustrations are examples of of sources where water come from. And so it's like what Solomon is saying, look, if the system runs out, you've got a fountain. If the fountain runs out, you've got a well. In other words, everything that you need, your spouse has it. Everything that you need, your wife, your husband has it. You've got a system, you've got a fountain, and a well that is working properly. You have all that you need in the person that God has sent you. Here, now, now, let me share. How, how can you satisfy yourself with one person? How can you do that when there's so many fine brothers and fine sisters and people who seem to want you? Let me give you an answer. This, now, the answer is simple but difficult. Notice what Solomon says. There are four commands. Listen to the four commands. He says, drink from your own. Let them be your own. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. And then he says, finally, always be intoxicated with her love. Now, how can you do that? Here's how you do that. And this is going to, take, this is going to really take some real serious deep thinking. You need to obey the commands. <laughs> you need to decide that you're going to drink from your own fountain, let your wife alone be yours, and you're going to be satisfied, intoxicated by her breast only, and you ain't sharing yourself or her with anybody else. That's a decision. You decide to go home. You decide not to use your phone 
for, for illicit uh, in, in encounters. You decide not to use your body in ways that dishonor God. It's a decision to obey his commands. And God says, and here's why we ought to do it. Here, here's some why. He says, because obedience, God says, I bless obedience. He said, let your fountains be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. God will give you what you're longing for in your own marriage. If we are obedient, he said, I will cause you to rejoice. I will cause you to be glad. Anybody want to rejoice? Anybody want to be glad? Anybody want to be content and satisfied? Well, take care of your own. Take care of what is at home that God has given you. Here's the second reason. God is watching your every thought and action. That's another reason why we want to train ourselves, because ultimately we want to please God. We ain't trying, oh, nobody's in this. I'm, I'm, I'm out of town. I'm out of country. What can they say? What can they see? And what I'm doing is private. No, no, no. It ain't private when God's got the spotlight on your butt. I'm sorry, I said it. Yeah, God's showing a spotlight from heaven on you. And you're joining. Your, so, so God is watching, remember, and he, and he will judge our actions and behavior. God will bring the judgment. This is the third thing. God will bring to judgment our disobedient habits. Here, and here's how he judges us. When you look at verse 22, he says, your sin will become a snare or an entrapment. You will become trapped. Your thing that you thought you were doing will do it to you. Now you've got a life-dominating sin. Now you are ensnared. Now you can't get loose. Now, you're trying to do right, but your mind keeps taking you back. That's one. So your mind will become entrapped. He said then, he said, he, he also will allow us to remain separated from him while remaining under the power of sin. When he talks about it leads you to death, the word death simply means separation. And so you can be a believer, but in the area of sexual purity and hearing from God in ways that will elevate you to that level of rejoicing in, in, in ministry and opportunities, God says, I will never open those doors because you've separated. You've locked yourself out of those blessings. Those things have, you've died to those things. There's some things that are gonna, will die to you because of choices that we make about being immoral in our relationships. Now I want to conclude we looked at the three four principles. First of all, temptation to cheat is real. The tragedy, tragedies that result from bad decisions in immorality are inevitable. We need to tell ourselves the truth. And finally, we need to train ourselves to do right. I want you to join me in prayer right now. And I'm going to pray very specifically if you would just stand and join with me right now. Father, first of all, I want to pray for women that remain in sexually abusive relationships with men because they're afraid of being alone. I want to pray for those women who are afraid to leave men that don't mean them well for fear of being alone. Secondly, pray for unstable wives that lust for the attention from men other than their husbands to feel attractive. There are women who are married who still crave the eyes of other men in order to feel attractive. It's not good enough that their husband finds them attractive. They want to look good for other men and to have those men flirt with them. Thirdly, pray for Christians that are struggling with their sexual desires for members of the same sex. 
people who are struggling with their sexual identity. They're not yielding. They're really battling. Sometimes they win, sometimes they lose, but they're struggling. They're not giving in. We want to pray for you in those areas of having attraction to people who are of the same sex. Pray for men that are secretly being dominated by pornography that negatively impact their relationship with their wives. Men who are secretly engaging in pornography. And when they see you, they're really looking at someone else from what they've been watching. We also want to pray for men that use women as sexual objects rather than daughters of God. We want to pray that these men will stop hurting women. These are daughters of God. This could be your child, your daughter. You wouldn't want a man abusing them. Pray for those that are currently involved in extramarital affairs. Pray that they would end them today. Pray that husbands and wives will work on learning how to please one another biblically and understand that the marriage bed is undefiled. We can all grow. We need to listen to our spouses about what pleases them. We need to have those conversations and be, be comfortable and not threaten. And finally, pray for a fresh start through mutual forgiveness. This is the day that we decide to go forward and we operate out of a spirit, a spirit of forgiveness because we've learned things that we didn't know. And our heart's desire is to be pure before the Lord because we know that God's eyes are watching and that he will judge us accordingly. Let's conclude in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would take this word and that you would use it to minister to, the, to marriages. Father, I pray that you would use this to minister to the young men and women who are considering marriage. I especially pray for the young men who are really afraid of making that final commitment. Sometimes, Lord, it's because of what they've seen in marriages that are supposed to be Christian and how unhappy people can be that name the name of Christ the Savior. Father, I pray that you would give them eyes to see that it, marriage is fine. It's what we do to it that causes it to hurt. Then, God, I just lift up all of the requests that I've made that we, where struggles are real. And there's really a desire, oh God, to operate on a level that allows people to know that we belong to you. We are in the world, but not of the world. That when we're genuinely saved, you make us new creations and old things have passed away. God is not just enough to say, I don't do what I used to do. The question is, if you're still doing what God says you shouldn't do today, it is sin. He is the standard, not your friends. Father, may we not be guilty of blocking people from seeing Jesus because of our ungodly behavior before them. Father, may we not be guilty of those who will not enter into the kingdom of God because we, like Lot's future sons-in-laws, when Lot told them that judgment was coming, they laughed at him because Lot had been compromised. Father God, I'm praying for all of the women who are hurting, who are lonely, who desire to be married, and yet you have not 
chosen to bring someone into their life at this time. Father, I pray that they would not lower their standard. I pray that they would not compromise. Father, I pray that they would continue to allow you to be the lover of their soul. Father, I'm praying that the men, the men that you've called to lead would step up and be all that you've called them to be. Father, I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen.